fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into the program. It's a brief Friday celebration. The greatest day of the entire... We're not going to get fired up today, unlike yesterday. We are going to stay calm. We're going to stay relaxed. We're going to stay in our zen mode today. Can we do that? (laughs) Can we do that today? Well, we're going to sure try. We're going to do our best. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but we will do our best. We are going to carpe diem all over this place, baby. That's what we do on the show. Welcome into a broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas. On our flagship radio station, we are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it's great to have you along for the ride today. Your Millennial General reporting for duty. We have so much to talk about, like usual. We'll try and cram as much as we can in today. Dr. Rachel Ehrenfield. She is the author of The Soros Agenda. She'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour as we talk about George Soros and his agenda. What the heck's going on? And some of the shenanigans we're seeing in society today. Is it is doing not to pass blame because we're not a victim like mentality society well okay i refer to we are a victim like mentality society today but we shouldn't be and the conservatives shouldn't be and therefore we shouldn't be passing blame off to others but we should at least be aware what the hell's going on in society so we'll get to that here in just a little bit obviously we have the debt ceiling vote that happened and we'll cover that here in just a moment as well first and foremost the most important thing out of the entire program today I got to say happy birthday to a special someone as I cannot believe it and do not remind me of how old I am. Do not remind me of how quickly time is going because it's scary and it's really heartbreaking how fast this is going because I want to enjoy it as much as possible. But Little Voice of Reason is officially nine years old today. Can you believe that? Nine years old. So happy birthday, Little Voice of Reason. She is the I, I couldn't imagine anything without her. And I, I obviously when I, I said that when I got married with my wife, I never I never thought I could live without you. And uh, that was it. I was like, that's it. I'm good. And then we had our little one. And man, completely turns life upside down, doesn't it? In a very good way. And she is absolutely amazing. And I cannot believe that she is nine. She just finished third grade and she's just rocking it. So she's the one, and I've told stories, I'll tell little stories here and there about her, of the fun things that she does, but she gets it. She's one of those that she gets it, and I am scared to death of the world that she's going to have to grow up in when it comes to dating and just trying to survive in society with the way things are going, which is why everything that we do on this radio program and all that we fight for each and every day is for that generation and is for her to have a better life to at least not have to deal with the stupid that we see in the world each and every day. So happy birthday to Little Voice of Reason, nine years old. Can you imagine? It is absolutely insane. She is almost as old as we've been on the radio, and it's absolutely phenomenal to absolutely watch. All right, welcome into it. We got a lot to get to today. Uh, We sat down earlier this morning, obviously, to talk about the debt ceiling issue as the House of Representatives ended up passing the bill last night by 314 to 117 vote. 149 Republicans, 165 Democrats voted for the bill, meaning 71 Republicans and 46 Democrats voted against it. Why? Do we have almost more Democrats voting for the bill than we do Republicans? 
I think that's a cause for concern. But now it's sent over to the U.S. Senate, where they say they're going to do this relatively quickly. We sat down just a little bit ago with U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma on his thought on this issue and some more right here for The Voice of Reason. Senator, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. You can call me James Senator, whatever. Uh, hey, fine. well, it's good to have you back on the program. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a last couple of days in Washington, D.C. Last night, the House of Representatives voting for the new debt ceiling bill. Uh, we had, it, it seemed like we had a decent bill about a month or so ago, and then we kind of renegotiated. Uh, some Republicans, more on the conservative end, ended up trying to fight this one with over 70 of them, not supporting that last night, but with the help of the majority of Democrats. What's your thoughts on this bill, and when could this be potentially taken up in uh, the Senate side? Yeah, we're still going through all the details on it, but I would tell you that uh, the Senate will take it up either today, tomorrow, Saturday, somewhere through there. There are quite a few amendments that are being queued up on this, deal with national defense. Uh, what does it take to be able to help protect our national defense because that number uh, is lowered in it, trying to be able to figure out some of the mechanics of how this works. There seems to be a lot of strong policy in it with an exception at the end of it uh, that are in it. For instance, there's a policy that deals with, uh, you know, limiting the number of new regulations that can come out of the White House. And it has pages and pages of how to be able to limit it. But at the very end, literally the last line of, the, of that piece says, but, this can be waived by the White House if they consider it necessary to waive it. <laughs> I mean, there's no exception, just like wide open. So it sounds really strong. The same thing on permitting issues. A lot of things talk about, you know, things have got to go faster on permits. They've got to be limited in pages unless the White House considers it necessary that it has to be longer. Or it says that's redone in two-year timeline. And I ask the question, what happens if they don't? It's like, well, that doesn't happen. What happens if they don't? So literally there's no limitation. So there's a lot of issues there. And even with the reduction of spending, the reduction of spending is really a decrease of the increase of spending. Mm-hmm. Spending goes up the next two years uh, under this bill. It just goes up less than inflation. Uh, so there, there are a lot of issues that many of us are asking questions about to say, hey, this is not an unreasonable question. If we're going to talk about dealing with our debt and deficit, does spending go down or up? And the answer is it goes up. Yeah, that's the concern. I mean, the whole point of this conversation was, hey, while we have the opportunity, we need to address the massive out-of-control spending. And they're touting the fact that it could potentially cut $2 trillion out of the budget for the next 10 years, but it also raises the debt ceiling by $4 trillion for the next two years. By my calculations, that's a massive increase in spending, kind of the opposite of what the entire purpose of the conversation was from the start. Yeah, the biggest challenge that we have is how far out of balance we really are. Uh, we are a trillion dollars a year of overspending now. A year, a trillion dollars. Now, you go back to Ronald Reagan. Uh, during the time of Ronald Reagan, the first time we ever hit a trillion dollars in total debt as a country was under Ronald Reagan. So all the debt from the beginning of the country until Ronald Reagan accumulated $1 trillion of total debt from Reagan until now is $31.5 trillion in debt. So, and this this bill will add more, but it's not just the it's not just the debt ceiling adding more. The debt ceiling really doesn't add debt. It allows us to be able to pay the bills that are already out there. The problem is the budgeting issue and what's actually happening in the way that we're budgeting. We're trillion dollars of overspending a year. I I put out a book called The Federal Fumbles every year, which identifies wasteful spending. They just ask the question: Are there places we can reduce spending? And the obvious answer is yes. And we put out some obvious options on that to say let's actually have a real grown-up conversation about what we're spending 
Yeah, that's a great point. I know that you're on the Senate side, so you don't really have uh, to kind of know what's going on in the minds of some of the, the congressmen on the House side. But why do you think that Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, went away from his Limit Save Grow Act that they passed at the end of April to renegotiate completely? I mean, the whole purpose, and Republicans said, we did our job. We passed a bill. We passed something that limited, that did our transparency, that did some government cuts, that did everything at a decent negotiation point, which I wish that would have been the end result, not the beginning of a negotiation result. But why do you think they scrapped it? I know we have to work with Democrats, get something done because the Senate uh, the Senate's still run by Democrats. But why didn't we pressure them more to say, look, we made a bill. We did something. Now you have to respond to it instead of just scrapping it and starting all over again. Yeah, well, I, that, that I don't know how the negotiations went, but you were right in the answer when you said it is a Republican Speaker of the House negotiating with a Democrat White House and a Democrat Senate. Uh, we, we have enough leverage to slow spending down, but we don't have enough leverage to make everyone else bend to our will on that. Uh, you, you go back to two years ago when there's a Democrat House, Democrat Senate, Democrat White House, they're dramatically increasing spending. This bill at least turns the spending down and decreases the increase. Uh, but as bizarre as it sounds, we're dealing with the White House and with the Senate that's just obsessed with spending more, spending more. So I, I don't fault in some ways Kevin McCarthy in this because of what we've got. Uh, we do have elections and elections do have consequences as a republic. Uh, th- this is part of the negotiation process. But I have to tell you, my biggest frustration is there are parts of the bill that advertise to do one thing. But do you read it? It actually does something different. Yeah. And to me, that is not consistent uh, with what we're trying to do. So don't 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 try to smoke and mirrors me on this. Uh, tell me what we've actually got and then actually have it uh, and find a way to be able to reduce spending. I, I was in the House in 2011 when we did the Budget Control Act. That was with a Republican House, Democrat Senate and a Democrat White House. And at that time, we literally reduced spending. At that point, we spending went down two years in a row, not decreasing an increase. Yeah, that is concerning. We're talking to U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. Last question on this before we kind of move on. But uh, after the vote last night, Chuck Schumer came out and said that it was a good bill and he's happy the House passed this one. And now that it's going to sit in the Senate, uh, your prediction on whether this is going to pass or not. I know many conservatives like yourself are concerned about this and may vote no against this bill. But uh, with Democrat support, it sounds like right now, even though they didn't get everything they want and they were touting the fact that. Uh, they didn't get all the social programs they wanted, that it's actually going to boost uh, spending for the military and defense and that sort of thing. Do you think it's going to pass in the Senate if the vote were held today? It would. Yeah, it would pass in the Senate. And wow. we'll, we'll see what the final vote tally looks like. But this uh, this is cute to be able to actually uh, pass in the Senate and get to the president's death. So there, there, are, there are a lot of things that are a lot of fights that are past this that we've got to be able to finish uh, because the actual appropriations process is still coming. And uh, so that is the next step uh, that would take off uh, in the rest of June and July uh, into the fall. So there's still more budget fights to be able to go. Very interesting. Let's shift gears a little bit. I know that you've been down at the border quite a bit and uh, you're going down there again here soon. But what's the situation that's while we're not talking about it in the mainstream media any longer, we're still seeing a mass migration of individuals, a mass uh, emergency really at the border. Texas still trying to do everything they can to just mitigate the issue. But it sounds like the Biden administration has just wiped it off as well. We sent military down there. We've shortened the uh, interview process for individuals coming into two minutes and then we put them on the bus, give them the the uh, the, the food stand card whatever and just ship them on their way to go to wherever we're going to take them so they're not coming in illegally 
we're just vetting them at a two-minute cycle so that way we can get as many in as we possibly can. I mean, Senator, what the heck? Yeah, this, this administration is focused on limiting the chaos at the border itself. What they don't want is the camera image of thousands of people all piled up in a detention facility. They don't want that picture. And so the way to be able to solve that picture is to wave people through faster and get them into the interior of the country. That's why you've got big city liberal mayors in New York and others that are complaining about the number of people that are ending up in their city because it doesn't provide the visual that the administration is so worried about. I'm worried about the national security issues here. Literally, we have individuals that are coming in. And when I was in Arizona last week, the biggest complaint that they had in that region was the number of non-Spanish speakers that are coming across the border now from West Africa, from the Middle East, from Pakistan, from Russia, from China. We have individuals that are adult-aged males. We're talking in their 20s and 30s that are coming across our southern border in very large numbers from many countries that hate America, those individuals are showing up, coming across the border, saying, I have fear in my country, and the Biden administration is literally waving them in. Mm. And uh, this is a growing national security issue that I've been back and forth with Homeland Security on, uh, even this week, trying to be able to push and to say, you are allowing people into our country that you have no idea their criminal history, no idea their background, but you know they're coming from countries that are not allied with the United States. And that there are major problems that could be brewing here in the days ahead. So yet, th- this is not just a an unwise issue. This is a national security issue. There it is. That's U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. That interview went a little bit longer than that, so we'll have the full interview up on the podcast after the program. We'll break some of that down when we come back here for a pre-Friday celebration here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out 24 minutes past the hour. Thanks again to U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma joining the show. We sat down with him earlier today. That interview did go a lot longer, so we will upload that entire interview on our podcast, which you can find on any of your favorite podcasting sites at the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You can subscribe, listen to all the shows after we are done with them. You can listen to all the special features, any of the additional interviews that go longer than what we can hear on the program. So a lot of great content. You can find all the information on the website at HoosierReason.com. By the way, after our sit-down with U.S. Senator James Lankford, we were about ready to go on the air just a couple minutes before we went live here at the top of the hour. And I got an email from his staff, from his team, uh, with his official announcement on how he's going to be voting on this issue, and this is what he had to say just a little bit, a little bit ago on the U.S. Senate floor. Now, initially, when it came out, it was a this is going to save two trillion dollars, and then it slowly got downgraded to it's going to save a trillion and a half dollars, and then when we read the fine print, and everyone's talking about how much it's going to save, I get to the fine print and find out actually it increases spending 3.3 percent next year. And the year after that, it increases spending 1% again. It actually doesn't decrease spending at all. It increases spending, both this year and next year. But then it has the promise of the next eight years after that, that it will only grow 1% a year after that every single year, except that's not an agreement this Congress can make. <laughs> so that was his speech 
just and it was about 16 minutes long, but that was his comments on the Senate floor a little bit ago, saying that he will be voting no on this issue. I'm so glad that we had a little bit of confirmation here on the program that my math is not wonky in the fact that it raises the debt ceiling by four trillion over two years, but cuts spending by two trillion over ten years. Uh, or really about $1.3, $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years, but increases the debt ceiling by $4 trillion in two years, which is a $2 trillion increase per year for two years, with $2 trillion being cut over a 10-year period, which is like, what, not $2 trillion a year that we've increased the debt ceiling. So I'm so glad that my math was reconfirmed by a senator of uh, such a prestigious title <laughs> to be able to, in Washington, D.C., to tell us, hey, you're right, it actually increases spending, which I thought, as Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans passed their bill just at the end of April, was supposed to actually decrease spending to get our budget under control, to actually stop the massive flow of government spending over the next few years and actually get us back on track. I mean, when you break it down, the whole purpose of this bill was not for an actual budget. It was to get us through until the end of this fiscal year, which ends at the end of September. So we had, what is this? This is now June 1st. Let's say June, July, August, and September. We had four months. That's all we had. to. We had four months that we had to fund just to make sure we don't default on the debts. We could just Pass a bill if we had to in increase spending at all, just to increase it just enough to pay the bills minimally for the next four months. And then we go into the budget cycle that our appropriations and ways and means committees are actually looking at right now to get ready for the budget cycle of 2024 that starts October 1. And they can deal with the rest on how we're going to cut spending, get things back under control, and actually say, hey, we're going to put in this bill that we cannot spend. It is going to be unconstitutional and illegal for the federal government to spend above what the anticipation of tax receipts are going to be for the nation. Period. End of story. And then you start figuring out what you're going to cut. That's what needed to happen. But instead, we essentially just made another budget bill on top of what the budget bill is going to be later that increases that debt ceiling for the next two years by $4 trillion with a $2 trillion cut, $1.3, $1.5 trillion cut over a 10-year period, increasing spending when Republicans got voted in with the sole purpose to say we're going to cut spending and get our finances back on track uh, by the way, Congressman Tracy Mann from the 1st District of Kansas that we sat down with on the show yesterday did end up voting against this bill. So thank you, Congressman, for voting against this one. Some weird votes for it, though. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, weird votes that supported the bill last night with 70 rum Republicans saying no. Very fascinating. We'll shift gears when we come back here on The Voice of Reason for a Thursday. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright, everyone. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on the pre-Friday celebration. I know it's been a weird week. I know we had Memorial Day off on Monday trying to get back into the groove of things. We're almost there. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't worry. We're here to save the day because that's what we do on this show. <laughs> Welcome back into it. So here's a bigger question for you. Now that we see the debt ceiling bill that was... A disaster, but yet we saw many Republicans vote for it. It's going over to the Senate. Now the question is what it's going to look like on the Senate side, at least from what I've heard with Senator Jane Blankford that we just had on the program a little bit ago. 
and his comments, other Republicans that are like, yeah, no, we're not going to support this one. It sounds like it could potentially come down to the wire. Democrats are going to have to be united on this one, which means some of the radically progressive left side of the Iowa ones will have to find a way to be supportive. Uh, even the moderate ones that were very concerned, which is why we talked about yesterday, the headline from CNN where uh, Joe Manchin is able to get some pet projects. Because, you know, in a bill that's supposed to be cutting spending just to get us through the time where we ran out of money to pay our current debts, in that bill, we have special pet projects for people with pork, like Joe Manchin getting a gas line through his, or a gas pipeline through his area. <laughs> it's, I'm all for gas pipelines. That's cool. But maybe not appropriate in a bill that's supposed to be restraining federal spending in some way, shape, or form. We have that issue. Then, of course, we have June 1st. Can you believe it, man? We are halfway through 2023 already. That should scare you just a little bit. But, but... With the step uh, starting of June 1st also means that we are going to see a lot of propaganda thrown at us this year. We're going to have, obviously, it's uh, Black History Month, which is cool, okay. We have Pride Month. We have a few other holidays throughout the month of June. We have a really cool announcement we're going to be doing in June as well. we got some cool stuff going on. But uh, it's a very big month for a lot of people with the intent of the divide and conquer, with the intent to hype up certain groups because we have to put everybody in boxes apparently with identity politics and then we have to divide and conquer based on that saying you're different so let's go ahead and start being angry and hate you because of that what's really going on around the country and is there a deeper issue and something deeper going on here as we talk about the latest and what's trending what's trending today and to talk about some of that and more really happy to have on the program she is the author of the book the soros agenda she's also president of the american center for democracy and economic warfare institute excited to have on the program dr rachel Aaronfield. doctor how are you my friend thank you thank you for having me yeah i'm excited to have you on here thank you so much for coming on it is a wild world that we live in and i never thought that we would have to be Passing bills to affirm someone's gender in society based on <laughs> biological sex. I never thought that we'd have uh, just the mass division that we would see today. And then politicians just blatantly lying to us in society as well, up front and public about it. Uh, but this is all part of a bigger plan, isn't it? Seems like it. Um, politicians lying uh, blatantly. Is that news? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they lie uh, well, left and right. Yeah, well, today they do it more than uh, usually not only politicians. Uh, you have um, uh, teachers, uh, professors at universities, mayors, um, ministers in the, uh, I mean, uh, members of the Obama administration, I'm sorry, <laughs> of the Biden administration. <laughs> it's the same uh, thing. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Freudian sleep, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, so so yeah, uh, newspapers. I mean, you know, uh, a Supreme Court justice who cannot tell you uh, whether what is a woman. Uh, we live in a very strange world, as you said. Uh, absolutely, yeah. it is. It is. It seems to be as a plan, and the plan is really to confuse Americans. Uh, to create more division in society, to um, take America back to a racial divide that has not been here for, I don't know, many, 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 many decades. 
And yeah, Obama has something to do with it, but uh, he was also following and financed uh, for his election uh, by uh, George Soros. He was not the only one who funded him, of course. Uh, and Soros is not the one who funds, <coughs> I'm sorry, all uh, progressive radical uh, ideas. But he certainly has been uh, initiating many and serving as the head of the steel, if you want, uh, initiating these ideas and working very uh, diligently to uh, change the cultural and uh, and um, um, cultural values of Americans, uh, what was once considered um, unthinkable, really unthinkable, um, and uh, and and unacceptable, is being uh, pushed at, at Americans uh, as as uh, normal. And the only, the only actually situation that you should find yourself in, uh, which is, which is ridiculous. Uh, so, um, forget about free speech. Uh, I mean, we have it now. We, we can talk, uh, but for how long? Well, and it's starting to go away. I mean, what we're seeing with the division and the the shadow banning and certain algorithms we see on social media with YouTube and Google just completely banning and getting rid of stuff. We have, quote unquote, free speech, but it's very limited and it's only on very specific platforms right now, it seems. Absolutely. I tried to post something on Facebook, uh, which I mentioned there was nothing in it but the name. I mean, nothing unusual, nothing defamatory, only sad. But the name Soros was there. I couldn't post it on Facebook. Wow. Uh, I did. I did some. Uh, I did some. Uh, I, I was playing a little bit with the AI. There are different programs for uh, AI uh, writing programs, and uh, I tried to see what I could get uh, if I just put uh, the subject in as something to do with Soros. Whatever it is, the sun is shining today because Soros is smiling. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I asked for something. Everything that I got back looked like it, it was printed by Pravda or the New York Times. Everything was singing sources' praises. So if somebody tells you, oh, AI will really destroy our lives and they can think for themselves and they will do all kinds of things, no. These are machines uh, that are being fed by humans. And the information that are fed by humans is, is information like, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and Google has been doing all along. Yeah. Here's the big question, and uh, I know we got a few minutes here before we have to take a break, but it, this may be longer than what uh, we have available here, but how in the world did someone like George Soros get as powerful and influential in society as he is right now? I know that he has a massive amount of money, but how in the world did he essentially get to the position where he can dictate the vast majority of um, actions and uh, the way that we operate in society. How did he do this? Well, read my book, The Soros Agenda. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you will find out you will find out how he planned it and how what kind of strategy he used to implement it. And it is interesting. I didn't focus on everything. I focused on the most important uh, parts that are important to the United States and, the, and really the free world because the United States is it, it was the leader of the free world 
apparently it's uh, sliding from that post uh, as we speak. Um, Soros has done really something very... Um, uh, he, he used, he, he's not the wealthiest man in America. He was never the wealthiest person. Uh, but he used his money, and not only his money, also he used government money, you and my tax, tax money, in order to uh, spread uh, whatever agenda he had in mind, not only here, but around the world as well. And, uh, and others contributed to their other uh, radical left uh, organizations and, and uh, philanthropies. So what he does is not philanthropy. He, he calls it political philanthropy, which is uh, uh, really, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a contradiction. Yeah. Uh, he, he used his, mostly he made, uh, it's very important for him to use the media, to befriend the media, to influence the media, to influence politicians. And apparently, you don't need to pay much either to buy politicians or the media. <laughs> it doesn't cost that much. Uh, but if you know enough people and you know enough so-called important people in offices and you help them a little bit here or a little bit there, you, you get a lot of influence. And he has done it, and he worked in different ways. He didn't go to Congress if he wanted to, mostly. If he wanted some laws changed, uh, what he did, he went, he created grassroots organizations, funded grassroots organizations to uh, spread his, um, whatever his, his ideas were. Yeah. And the first thing that he did was really to challenge uh, the legal, uh, the legal system in this country. And he started with, he, he wanted to test how, how could he, how far can he go? And to do that, he started with uh, efforts to legalize drugs uh, in the early 90s. And at that time, if you told somebody that, oh, we are going to legalize drugs, you know, the idea was completely lacked. It was not, uh, it didn't seem like something that will happen. Yeah, it was well, very foreign. You know, Rachel, I, today. I tell you, we got, Rachel, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? I'd love to continue sure. this. Perfect. I want to continue. Okay. It is the Soros Agenda. You can find it on Amazon, other places as well. Also with the American Center for Democracy. You can find them online at acdemocracy.org. I want to continue this conversation about George Soros because uh, you're right. The attack on the legal front has been fascinating to watch. The funding of attorney generals across the country, uh, different district attorneys across different states has been really changing the legal landscape of how we operate. We'll go to that direction when we come back here on The Voice Reason. Stay right here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show, man. It flies right on by. We just need more time. Welcome back to it. So, real quickly, I, I promised I was going to do this, so we'll do this real fast. Real fast. Weird news of the day. 
And again, I feel like uh, Tom Brady's footballs right now because you get so excited. I, I've given up on actually having any type of hope or uh, any type of faith that we're going to have any positive, legitimate, truthful information come out of Washington, D.C. After yesterday's NASA public hearings on their researching of 800 different cases of potential UFOs or UAPs is what they're calling them now. They've come out and essentially said that there is no definitive proof of life outside of the Earth. <laughs> telling you, man, I'm waiting for the actual truth to come out. I'm ready for it. We are bracing ourselves. We already know it. It's just ready for you to admit it. Right now, we're uh, hanging out with Dr. Rachel Ehrenfeld. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, maybe George Soros is funding the UFOs out there, too. It wouldn't surprise me with all the crap that he's doing right now. The Soros Agenda is the book. You can check it out on Amazon. Other places also check out the website at acdemocracy.org. That's the American Center for Democracy and Economic Warfare Institute. Rachel, as we talk about how George Soros is uh, affecting society, we talked and dabbed a little bit. You mentioned the legal system. We see a massive amount of attorney general candidates across the nation. We see a lot of district attorneys across the nation, or at least candidates for them, being funded by George Soros, wanting to change the landscape of our legal system. Uh, We see a really big push to try and get rid of bail bonds across the nation, really wanting people to have kind of that rotating door of you go into jail for doing something bad, you walk right back out because it's unfortunate that they can't afford some type of bond to be able to walk back out and have their freedom. Essentially creating the anarchy we're seeing in the streets right now, aren't we? Uh, Yes, Uh, and also defunding the police. Mm. Uh, And also uh, racial division. So... If you are, uh, I mean, if you are not white, uh, the chances that you will be let go uh, once the police actually arrest you, uh, which they don't always do, uh, then um, you'll be out in the street. Wow. Uh, and it is, and it is really, uh, it's terrible because it is hurting um, the. People, the residents who, who live in this neighborhood, uh, it hurts in many, many instances. It's, uh, it's uh, black, uh, black and brown and, and, and other uh, citizens, uh, residents who live there, who are suffering from, uh, from the violence and, and the uh, lawlessness uh, from robberies, from um, uh, attacks. Uh, from shooting uh, in the in different neighborhoods, this is really this is uh, for carjacking, hijacking, uh, and and uh, they call it um, I don't know. This is uh, social justice, criminal justice. Uh, they have named uh, they call justice for everything that is wrong under the sun, which they are promoting. Yeah. Uh, and it is to create more chaos uh, in in America in order to uh, make more people dependent on the government. Actually, and the government is not doing anything to help them. <laughs> yeah, which is which is very sad. So um, it is it is not helping uh, the economy. It is not helping the people. It is not helping the uh, status of the United States in the world either. No, it's not. We've already hit that threshold nationwide of more people on some type of social program than not on social programs, which means now that we've broken that 50% threshold, 
it's going to be tougher and tougher for them to ever be limited or to get back on track to be uh, financially stable in any way, shape, or form because we're going to be running ourselves into a financial ruin. Like you said, the anarchy in the streets, the division right now, the hatred that we're seeing from Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, is all funded in with this agenda to make it happen. Last question is we got about 30 seconds left here, Rachel, but uh, the ones that are starting to wake up on the minority groups that are realizing this and not wanting part of it, they're the enemy to George Soros right now, aren't they? In about 20 seconds. Absolutely. If you if you dare to voice your opinion to oppose uh, the agenda that is being forced on them, uh, to say, no, we want safety, we want our kids to study and not learn uh, and not find out that they are not what they are. They are. Uh, if we don't want drugs everywhere, yeah. uh, then we are being cancelled and maybe our jobs will be taken away from us. So we have to go on some welfare program. Uh, and uh, yep. this is happening all over. The cancel yeah. culture is real. And you're right. It is the new age servitude. I think we're going to coin that here. The new age servitude that he is funding and doing. Rachel Aaronfield, the, jo- the Soros Agenda. Rachel, we appreciate it very much to have you on the program. we got to do it again soon. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, we'll see you on the radio for a Friday.